Do all of you know what a bozo is? How many know what a bozo is? Okay, because some thought I might need to define it. Somebody pointed at a friend. <laughs> no judging. This morning, I share with you an overview of uh, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And it really is, I, I was thinking about this as I prepared, I really appreciate the title Divine Drama. And in particular, these books are a drama. Leviticus, not so much. But Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are as dramatic as it comes. And so as we talk about that, my title is uh, clearly focusing into the book of Ruth on the character character is there, and, and it's more than just Boaz, but it really alliterates well with bozos. So, And bozos, by the way, uh, the origin is a clown and kind of a foolish, not, um, well, let's just go with fool, right? If I'd had a, a Fred, it would have been Fred among fools. Um, but the fact is that we're going to look at what I consider a very relevant time that matches our own and, and a call to you that will speak to your time and who God's calling you to be in that time. This is my granddaughter. You know, when, when Phil spoke, he borrowed the idea from Kevin about a, uh, a song. So he had his song and then he had pictures of his grandkids. Um, and so I've got a picture of my granddaughter. Um, there'd also be one up there of her dressed like a pumpkin, but I couldn't get it in in time. Um, is there a reason for her to be up there? Well, there wasn't. I just wanted a picture of my granddaughter up there. Um, at the end, there actually is a tie-in, though, so stay tuned and see if you can pick it up. I also wanted to borrow from Phil. He, he used an outline of listen, remember, and follow, I'm gonna switch it a little bit to uh, remember, listen, and follow, because by the time we're in the book of Joshua, uh, Moses has done a little bit of writing, and, and they have uh, the word of God in, in written form, and so, they're, yes, they're listening, but it's founded in what they already know, what is already written, and they need to remember the Word of God, and so I want to emphasize that as, as we go. So let's look, first of all, at the time of Joshua. Joshua was a time when they remembered, and what did they remember? Well, think about it, okay, these are the kids, they were, you know, whatever age, maybe they were born during the 40 years, but a lot of them would have been, you know, young, very young children. So what have they been through? Well, a lot of wandering. You know, uh, we have that famous saying, Dad, are we there yet? You know, and you have to wonder how many kids were, you know, wondering why they were wandering. And they would have heard the stories. And the parents would have had to repeatedly tell them how they had screwed up. And therefore, everybody got to wander. They also saw wonders, a lot of them. They saw daily manna 
they ate it. Uh, you know, Phil's song about, so you want to go back to Egypt? What was the thing? Manna burgers, manna waffles. So they got to eat manna their entire growing up lives. A miracle every morning. One they got tired of. Passover. See, this was still fresh, right? The rescue out of Egypt. I think during this time, they would have been very careful about practicing the Passover. Um, The interesting thing is that you'll find a passage, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but uh, there is a passage later on when Jehoshaphat has a revival, and he says that they uh, celebrated Passover as it had not been celebrated since the time of the judges. So during this time, they, they did the full deal, right? All the Christmas presents, so to speak. The lamb, the whole nine yards. So this, those kids would have grown up eating the Passover. Uh, they saw this guy, Korah, try to rebel, try to, you know, usurp authority from Moses, and the ground opened up, and as the song says, had some of us for lunch, right? Um, and so imagine as a, 12-year-old kid watching the ground open up and a bunch of people fall in and the ground close up. I don't think you'd forget that. And then there's the snake on a stick. That's not how they said it, but, you know, there's the snake on a stick where some of their family and friends would have died from the snake bite. Maybe some of them, probably some of them, had, had the snake bite themselves and you know, you were carried out or rushed out to look at this serpent so they could be saved. These are some very vivid things that they could remember. And so I, I have, these are, this is my graphics. Can you believe it? I made that myself. Um, <laughs> during the time of Joshua, they listened and they followed. And you can see sort of an ascending sense of, of their civilization, of their nation, of, of their culture. And it starts with um, the crossover itself. You know, they listened. God said, you're gonna go across the Jordan, it's full flowing river at, the, you know, at its peak. No problem, well, problem, but we're gonna do it because we remember. And so they crossed. And as they got through, as they were crossing, halfway through, God said, pick up those stones and make an altar on the other side so you don't forget this. They did it. It was there to remember. So there's a real sense in which they obeyed. Then, well, there's this thing called circumcision. So you just get across. You're right there. Your enemies are watching you. Your enemies are within striking distance. Oh, great, let's incapacitate ourselves. Well, you know, three or four days, that's not enough time for them to get their swords and come and kill us. They did it. No questions. There's no no hesitation, no complaining. They did it. And then God says, okay, I want you to parade. We're going to have a parade, and you're going to parade around this city that you're supposed to destroy seven days. They did it. Do you note anything in the passage that suggests hesitation? I didn't find it. They did it because they remembered. They followed because they remembered. 
Uh, they weren't perfect. There was one guy who seemed to have amnesia about what God could do to those who uh, didn't obey. His name was Achan. And they had to go through the AI experience, and they were all stressed out about it. And God said, just stop. That's the problem. Figure it out. And they did. They corrected the problem. So they weren't perfect, but when there was a problem, they fixed it. And you could say the same as far as the situation that came up when they were conned. And they, they forgot. They, <laughs> they shouldn't have forgotten, but they forgot to check with God. It seemed like an open and shut case. These people want to have peace with us. They're from far away. We looked at the facts. You know, we looked at the evidence, and they got conned. But when they got conned, they did what was right and honest and with integrity because they actually protected that group of people as if they were their own after that. So everything they're doing, it's not perfect, but where they're not perfect, they still did the right thing to fix it. Well, (laughs) what was the result? A lot of successful conquest. I find it interesting that the very first king to initiate attack was the king of Jerusalem. I don't know, Jerusalem just seems to figure in from the very beginning, doesn't it? But anyway, they, they had conquest after conquest and they started out doing a great job. And all the life of Joshua, they did a great job. And then you come to the end of uh, Joshua's life and many of the others and there's closure. There's good, healthy closure to their lives. You've been to funerals for those kinds of people, right? You know what it's like for a life well lived to come to a close. And people are blessed even in the funeral. There's closure. But yet there are clues of what's to come. By the end of Joshua, they're having a little trouble conquering some people. They turn them into slaves. Funny, they could turn them into water gatherers and wood choppers, but they couldn't get them to turn to Yahweh. They should have. I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to live, you're going to (laughs) convert. I mean, we don't like that forced conversion thing. But we conquered you, we conquered your God. Embrace the one true God, or leave. Go find somewhere else to live. Egypt's a nice place. So we start to see this conquest without completion. We start to see this as a problem, and God um, comes along and warns them about it, but it's, it's, it's progressive in a regressive way. It, it, it's not, at first, you know, they, they enslave them, whatever, but you get later on and you get a sense that they just lived with them. So there's actually a reduction, a, a slow, over time, dilution of their obedience. God sent a prophet. He preached, and the people cried. And what else did they do? Nothing. 
You know, when 9-11 happened, before most of your time, I think, a lot of people went back to church. There was a real emotional reaction. During COVID, not as much, but some emotional reaction. But have we changed? Have we taken action to obey, to correct what God pointed out? You know, God has no grandchildren. That's a saying that my uh, father-in-law used to uh, mention. And, and the idea is that everybody has to be born in Christ. Can we read this together? The people worshiped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime. And as long as the elderly men who outlived him remained alive, these men had witnessed all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua died. That entire generation passed away. A new generation grew up that had not personally experienced the Lord's presence or seen what he had done for Israel. What keeps me in my faith? What keeps me in my faith is essentially two things. My personal experience of Jesus Christ, the work he has done, the connections, those special times of intimacy, and the times I have seen the hand of God. Time after time after time, God has had his fingerprints all over situations. I remember those, and I want to be reminded of them. And you should be keeping a diary of every time God works, because there are times in your life that you're going to need to remember the reality of God. So the people forgot. Because they forgot, they stopped listening. And I, and this is my words, they followed their hearts. You know what the problem with following your heart is? What does the Bible describe our hearts as? Desperately wicked. Not a good thing to follow. And sure enough, that's what you see in the book of Judges. And this is actually history repeating itself. Here's another passage. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, malice, covetousness. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless, etc. Although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Sound familiar? Does it kind of look like the newspaper? Maybe the tabloids. It was also that way in the time of the judges. See, as, as we move into the judges, you get distortion. 
decline, deviance, death. Distortion, I'm sorry, decline in leadership. That's one of the first things that you see. It's interesting if you trace the people that are the judges, you start with Othniel, right, who was a hero. He really was a genuine hero. Well, where do you end up at the end? <laughs> where do you end up? Who's the last one? Samson. Samson. Anti-hero. Have you noticed in the movies, I don't know if you knew, watch an old movie about the hero, and he's an actual hero, tends to have good character, be honest. What are, what are we down to today? Anti-heroes. Aren't we? Mostly? They're anti-heroes. Leadership declined. Uh, there was distortion in terms of religion. Uh, you know, a Levite becomes a, is appointed priest by some guy who stole his mother's money. You know? And oh, and he, she gave the money back because he admitted it. And so then he made an ephod which instead of the Ark of the Covenant, we now have some ephod made by some guy out in the backwoods that that's supposed to be where God is. So we have all kinds of distortions of the view of God. The sacrifice of his daughter. Remember that guy? Why? What kind of view of God leads a leader to sacrifice his daughter? Deviance. Sexual deviance. You know, when I was preparing for this talk, I was going to go into, or I went through with my wife some of the stuff I was going to talk about, and she said, Gary, I don't think you should talk about that because you might trigger some people. It might, just talking about those things might trigger some people because you've gone through it. Ours is the same as theirs, and we're deviant. The main culture has become deviant. And guess what happens when deviance hits? Any of you watch those um, real murders uh, things? You know, where does the murder start? <laughs> With the other stuff up here. You end up in death. And sure enough, they had a civil war, brutal civil war, where so many people died in the book of Judges. Okay, so... <laughs> it's like, yeah, we heard that Schmidt can be a little bit negative, especially in his grading. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to, okay, we're in the divine drama, right? So you know in the divine drama when there's a change, all of a sudden you go from all the minor chords to major chords and things start to go up? Well, that's what you get with the book of Ruth. Now, not only do you get beauty from ashes, you, you get a whole shift to a spotlight. In other words, the judges are there. The history of, of, of Joshua's behind. The judges are here. But in that, and probably fairly close to the beginning of Judges, the spotlight now goes down and the scene opens on the family of Elimelech. Now it starts out pretty well a connection. Elimelech is, is essentially a guy who 
He was willing not only to have neighbors that were pagans. Nah, that wasn't enough for him. Because of the famine, he actually went to live among the pagans in Moab. He took his family. Enough of this. We're not going to deal with the, the, the famine. We're going to go there. And surprise, surprise, he dies. His sons get married and they die. They marry Moabite women. And it's just death upon death. But then the spotlight shifts. And there's just a hint of light on the horizon. You have Naomi, bitter as she is, saying, I'm going back. I am going back. I'm, I'm done with this. And then you have Ruth saying, I'm coming with you. Not only does she say, I'm coming with you, but she says something very profound. Your God will be my God. Enter Boaz, stage left. Who's Boaz? Well, he isn't just anybody. He is the son of who? Anybody know? Rahab. Now think about this, son of the prostitute, right? The one Canaanite we let live with her family. Think of how the general society felt about her. I would suggest that being the son of Rahab was a bit of a challenge in school. Don't you think? He would have grown up with a fair amount of rejection. But he also knew what his mom had done. He knew the courage she had had, the foresight she had had, the willingness to trust Yahweh at the risk of her own life and and others, and to cling, to seek God. And what does he see then when Ruth shows up? He sees a woman like his mom, a foreigner, but a foreigner willing to pursue God, to be good for her family, take care of her family, right? I really think that in Ruth, Boaz saw Rahab, and he admired her. And eventually that admiration would turn into love. From hopeless, the scenario starts with hopelessness. Now we're into hope. The scenario starts with confusion. What's going on? Death. And then we get to clarity. Oh, this is what's going on. And we have a happy ending. Naomi, who lost everything, almost, except Ruth, gets a grandchild. And this is the starting point, really, of the line of David. So what does that mean to you? Well, I have two questions. First one is, are you rich? I married up spiritually, not financially. Sorry, honey. If you were born into a spiritually rich home, into a emotionally healthy home, if you were born into all of that, don't resent it. Don't talk about life being boring. Don't seek out the excitement you didn't have because your flesh is craving for it. 
be grateful, be humble, and be careful. As James talks about, embrace your poverty because you still have that same heart. You just haven't been put in a situation where it was allowed to fully express itself. There's a passage uh, in Jeremiah where God is expressing his anger at the people of Israel for their spiritual arrogance. And he says to them, oh, you've got the temple and you think you're all good and and to go because you've got the temple. Remember Shiloh. Shiloh is where, when they came into the land in the time of Joshua, that's where they set up the tent of the tabernacle. That's where they went to meet with God. That was the evidence of God among them. Shiloh was destroyed. Why was Shiloh destroyed? Because the people of God tried to live off the externals of having things there. Going back to the passage about not knowing God, they didn't have it themselves. Are you poor? Are you someone who was raised in a broken situation with a lot of heartache? Or maybe you grew up in a healthy home, but somebody robbed you of that since the time you left that home? If you're amongst the broken, then you need to be hopeful, and I'm going to call it grounded in grace. You have an advantage. And okay, guys, where are you? What was the term you taught me? You have the dog? You got that dog. (laughs) Right? You got that dog. In other words, you are, you come from an advantage of knowing what it's like to not have Christ. You come from a home or a situation where you know what godlessness looks like. And you choose God. And as Jesus said, they who are forgiven much, love much. Well, some of you are still listening. (laughs) And all of us, rich or poor in the Lord, we need to go to that verse where Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, the cross that God has custom designed for them, and follow. That is the answer for all of us. All of us will survive. All of us can have a story like Boaz and Ruth if we're willing to deny ourselves. You know, one of the things I didn't point out about Boaz, he, when Elimelech fled the famine, Boaz stayed. Boaz went through the famine. Boaz stuck it out when things were tough. And therefore, when things got better, he was in the position that God could bless and use him because he stuck it out. And yes, we need God's grace to do that, especially in the world we live in today. There's a lot of stuff hammering at us. Stick it out. Hold to that which God has told you. That is our hope. Our hope is not in changing the world. 
but of God changing us. And one last word, um, God's gonna work anyway. Um, Just because you see God work doesn't mean you're not Samson. Don't be Samson, be Othniel, be Boaz. Be someone who, uh, in the words of 2 Timothy, is a vessel of honor, for honor, not dishonor. You know, we use toilets a lot. I don't want one for Christmas. Well, maybe I need one for, no. You follow the point, (laughs) right? You get the point. All right, let me pray, and then uh, I'm gonna have Mark come up and, and take over. Father, here we are, we are in your hands. Thank you, uh, thank you that uh, the words came through, and I ask, Father, that you would give us the grace, because it is only from you, but give us the grace to be a Boaz, to be a Ruth. Whatever our background, whatever we come to today with, Father, help us to deny ourselves to take up that cross that you have for us and to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.